Thank you for tuning in to Wove Inspiration Podcast with host Althea Richardson. Wove stands for Women of Vision and Excellence, and the mission is to inspire, encourage, and uplift women and the men who love them to becoming all they were predestined to be. And it starts with restoration. I have a special guest on my show today. Her name is Sue Bowles. Sue is a survivor turned award-winning author, speaker, and master certified professional coach. She also leads My Step Ahead, an organization committed to breaking the stigma around mental health struggles. Sue, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Althea. I'm looking forward to it. So, Sue, tell the audience just a little bit more about what you do. Sure. As a life coach, I specialize as a hope coach. And what that means is I cultivate hope with my clients. When they come to me, they often feel stuck. They often feel they're not able to get where they want to go. They often feel that maybe their dreams are out of reach because they had to put them on hold. And then life kind of threw a curveball or or they had, had a different route for them. And we start digging in and we start talking about what those dreams are and what gives what gives them life what gives that person energy. And then we, we start helping them take, take that next step. You know, my, my business name is My Step Ahead. And the concept is that you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. And oftentimes, the sense of getting unstuck is simply feeling like you have something to offer. And oftentimes, that, that comes by feeling you know, that you have something to offer and then going out and offering that. So as a hope coach, that's what I do. I also do a lot of speaking, podcasting, and I uh, do some writing as well. Awesome. And so I know, at least from my background, the reason why I go into helping other people and also wanting people to share their voice and their story, that is because they went through some things. So <laughs> tell the audience about what it was like for you growing up. All right. Sure thing. Um, let me give a quick trigger warning because a couple of the things that I'm about to share have to do with sexual assault, have to do with uh, being suicidal and depression and eating disorders. So if any of those are sensitive topics for you, please have a self-care plan in place. If you need to come back to the show later, it'll be waiting for you. Or if there's little ears in the room that maybe don't need to hear it, uh, feel free to you know take this time now to to distract them in some way. So. Having said that, childhood was not normal for me, not whatever normal is, but I didn't have a chance to be a kid because when I was seven years old, a classmate raped me after school and he enticed me into the woods and held me against my will for 45 minutes. And my emotions became frozen in time that day. I didn't know what happened. This is back in the early 70s. Rape was not on the radar. And no one knew to ask anything, and I didn't know to say anything. And when Bobby, the boy who raped me, was leaving, he, he uh, went out one end of the woods, and I went out the other. And his last words to me were, don't tell anybody. And I didn't know the prison those words were going to put me in. And that started a whole process of decades of being broken, of being of not knowing my worth, of not knowing how to communicate for myself, how to stand up for myself, how to state my needs is a good way to put it, because I didn't know I was allowed to have needs. I didn't know what those needs were. 
and knows, knows that they were okay. So I, I wore the mask for decades that I was okay. The Sue didn't have any problems. You know, Sue was the strong one, and uh, you'd go to Sue if you had an issue. And instead, I was dying on the inside. Uh, by the time I got to college, you know, I was suicidal in high school. Uh, by the time I got to college, all of this insecurity had blown up to the point that I developed an eating disorder and I was very unhealthy. All this time, I had never told anyone what happened when I was seven years old. That secret finally came to light when I was my senior year of college. So it was a 15-year secret. So when I say I didn't have a chance to be a normal kid, that's what I mean is that I didn't, right from the start, I was in survival mode. And my entire life was based on that until I finally let out the secret and started to heal. Wow. And, and how were you able to tell someone or who was it that you shared the information with? Sure. I went to Defiance College, which is a small college in Northwest Ohio. And the dean of students had kind of become my confidant for four years, kind of my counselor, just helping me through things. And my senior year, he, he knew that I wasn't ready for the workforce. He knew that he could just tell that you know, there was something, but he couldn't put his finger on it. And he gave me different homework assignments to try to help get me ready for the work world. We were talking about one of those assignments one afternoon. It was springtime, it was about a couple months before I graduated. And I don't remember what the question was. All I know is I'm staring at the carpet checking out the weave pattern and I just go off on some kind of soliloquy. And, and I, I remember him remember saying, well, when society tells you not to say anything and my voice just trailed off and, and Ed was very astute and he kind of paused a minute and he said, Sue, did somebody hurt you? And I said, yeah. And, and, and actually, I, th I think his first question was, did my parents hurt me? And, and I said, no. I said, Some, he said, somebody else? I said, yes. And he asked what, what happened. And that was when it came out. I didn't know it wanted to come out. I didn't know it needed to come out. But when you have a secret, when you have a trauma inside, it will find its way out. It is yearning to be told and to come to the light. And for me, it was trying to come out for decades through my emotional instability, through the eating disorder, um, and I wasn't listening. And, and I, I, was, I was slowly dying on the inside. And, and like I said, when, when Ed asked the question, um, that's, that's, when, that's, when, when, that's when the cocoon started to break. Yeah. It, it's always that, that one question. And for, for me as a counselor, you can tell. It's just something that you see within that individual. It mm -hmm. could be like certain clothes that they wear, mm -hmm. the way that they, they talk, the, their self-esteem. And, and that is always the first question that mm -hmm. I ask, did someone hurt you? And then that's mm -hmm. when the, the, the waterfall just, it just flows yep. and, and everything. So yep. uh, that is, yep. wow. And it's, yep. yeah. So with that, now you've told someone the secret is out. Mm -hmm. How did you go forward from there? 
it was a slow process. Um, I had been seeing a counselor in the town where my college was and asked if I had told him. I said, no. And he strongly encouraged me to. So I invited Ed along for that next session. And even then I was shadow boxing and Ed called me on it. Uh, the counselor actually, I wasn't answering questions. The counselor looked at Ed and said, what do you think? And, and Ed said, I think Sue needs to quit shadow boxing and tell you what she told me last week. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I brought him along. So I knew I couldn't do it myself. Um, but um, it, it was a slow process because even then, you know, I went off to graduate school and I've seen a counselor up there as well, but it just still wasn't, you know, you can't dig into something that that's, that's at that point in time was, you know, a decade and a half old and feel like you're going to get it resolved in one year or two years. It's just not going to happen. There's too much of life on top of it. Right. My healing, I, I, I continued and, you know, I even went through a period where everything was okay. Um, but I had never dealt with the rape, dealt with all kinds of other stuff, never dealt with the rape. And it wasn't until 2014 that, that I finally started digging in. I have a counselor. I've been seeing her for 14 years now, and she is a godsend and has taken me places I did not know I needed to go. And has we've uncovered things that I never knew were there. And when I finally started with her, I said, if we're going to do this, we're doing it all the way. I'm not stopping until we're done because I'm not doing this again. Um, and and it's, it's been a tremendous partnership. But even after I told Ed, I was still pretty silent about it. Nobody in my family knew. They didn't know for many, many years later. And I, I think I, I was still... I don't know if I was quite ready to deal with it and, and with the degree and depth that it requires. Yeah. And so I know one of the ultimate questions that maybe someone is thinking is like, okay, when were you able to tell your, your mom or your parents about what mm. happened? Yeah, that took a while. That took a while. And partially because you know, the, the, the family environment, um, was good when I was younger, by the time it got to high school, it kind of started becoming a little more dysfunctional and ended up, my dad was, became an alcoholic and mom and dad divorced as a result after 34 years of marriage. But um, it's very important, first of all, to say dad is 31 plus years sober. Hey. Relationships have been healed and restored and are better than we ever dreamed possible. Nice. I was just with dad this weekend and he is literally my best friend and we talk numerous times a week. So I, mom was the first person I told because a, a true mother's instinct, you know, was there's something and you're keeping a secret. And, you know, and, and I was trying so hard not to I'm like, just leave me alone. And finally, I said, okay, fine. We're going to have this conversation. It was not easy. And in as a concerned parent, mom's response was not what I was hoping it would be at the moment. Because she was hearing devastating news. And I don't know what I expected from her at that moment in time. I wasn't prepared to be able to help her through the grief process around it as well. So it was, it was some choppy waters we navigated for a while. Uh, when I finally told my dad in, in true form, I told him when, when, my, when I wrote my book. And actually before the book came out. And, you know, his first comment was... <sighs> 
And he's got to close his eyes and, and, and took a heavy sigh. And then he just hugged me. Yeah. And, and he said, I'm so sorry, Susu. And, and, and a little as, we're, as we talked and everything, he, he, he later said, maybe it's a good thing I didn't know because I'm not sure I wouldn't have gone after that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's like, that's dad speak for, I love you and I'm going to protect my daughter. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Yeah, definitely. And as your journey continues, I know for a lot of women, they some kind of way find their faith. So what does that look like for you? I love that question. I, I came to Christ um, May 31st, 1985 at a Petra concert. I was raised Catholic. And my faith is the center point of my life. Everything revolves around that. Everything. When I was suicidal, um, there were two thoughts keeping me alive. One was, and I could have ditched this one if I really needed to or felt like I needed to. And it was simply, it was was my family doesn't need to go to my funeral in the middle of the divorce. I was at least rational enough to have that thought. And the second one is the greater thought. And it was what I call a nagging optimism. There was something that was just telling me it's going to be okay. And it would not let me go. And I know now that was just my faith in Christ. That does not mean life's been a bed of roses. If anything, it feels like it's been a whole lot of thorns, mm-hmm. and but those roses are coming out. And you know where my faith came, it was rocky all throughout. I spent many, many, many years being totally hacked off of God. And I know some people think you can't be angry at God and it's a sin and you shouldn't be angry. I am not of that camp because the God for me, my God to handle that because those are God given emotions. And Jesus even got mad. Yeah. So if Jesus can get mad and tell his dad about it, I can get mad and tell his dad about it. Yeah. Um, so I went through, it was a long process. And when we finally started dealing with the rape, that was some hard conversations, feeling, dealing with feeling abandoned by God. Why? I mean, with just the thumbnail sketch of, Childhood rape, dysfunctional home, eating disorder, twice suicidal, um, other sexual assaults from neighborhood kids. You know, all these things are a lot for one person to deal with. And all of them have come my way. And for quite a while, I was like, why, God? Why did all that come my way? Why'd you dump the bucket my way? And, and there was a lot to process over many years. My counselor is a Christian. And that has helped tremendously because we can have the real conversations and yet she brings me back around to deal with, you know, to, to, to deal with the other side, especially when I was feeling abandoned by God. We did a lot of work there about, you know, where was God when, when Bobby was having his way with me, you know, and all those kinds of things. Um, where my faith really started to really, I don't want to say it didn't start, where the healing started was in 2014. There was a movie that came out called Ragamuffin. It's based on the life of the late Christian musician Rich Mullins. Uh, if anyone's heard the song, Awesome God, Our God is an Awesome God, He Reigns Power Above, that's Rich. And um, later that year, the family and friends of Rich who did the movie and the producer 
talked about doing a retreat to carry on the conversation of the themes of the movie. One of those themes is authenticity and maskless living. Mm. And, and that really struck because this is right around the time that Amanda and I are digging into the rape. Amanda's my counselor. And then I see this movie that talks about taking your masks off and being vulnerable. And, and I'm like, uh, this is just a little much. It's getting quite home, close to home. And I, I, I was supposed to go to Nashville to see friends when this retreat was happening. And I felt that tug, just felt that tug. And I was fighting. God and I wrestled for about six weeks and I, I won when I gave up. And um, I went to this retreat and I went in calling myself the holy exception, believing that everything in the Bible was good enough for everybody else but me. You know, I said that I was uh, too screwed up and too far gone and that you know, God couldn't love me. Um, you know, I was just a waste of space. And instead, through that retreat, I left there saying and starting to believe for the first time that Jesus Christ loves me. And he not only loves me, he likes me. And he's absolutely crazy head over heels in love, love with me. And there's a big difference between liking and loving somebody. And that started things. Because what happened at that first retreat is I owned my story. Yeah. I, had been, I had been in denial about my story. I hated my story. I wanted to know part of my story. And God, in his mercy, allowed me to face it. I went back the second year, and I, had to, I ended up grieving my story, which, again, is a whole other process. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of crying, hard crying, uh, what I call sacred moments of release. And those were beautiful moments and painful moments. And the third year I went back, I got the nugget that I am valuable to God. Yeah. You know, for, for someone all along this, literally her entire life, felt like she had no voice, felt like she didn't matter, that she was a waste of space to latch on to that nugget from God that I love you. I'm head over heels in love with you. I'm absolutely crazy about you. And I like you. And by the way, you're valuable to me. That started everything. That's when I was doing the book, and that's when the healing really started. So, a long answer to your question about my faith, but it is woven into the entire tapestry, and I would not be where I am now without that faith. I would not be where I am now without a church body where it was. it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be broken and to talk about that brokenness and yet not stay and wallow in that brokenness. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would, honestly, without my faith, I'd be dead because that was the thing that was keeping me alive when I wanted to kill myself. Yeah, yeah, amen. And you know what? What I like about this conversation, first of all, is the fact that you have church support because mm-hmm. there are some women that go to church and they feel like, you know, this is the place that they can begin their healing Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there are people that are in the church that they either don't know how to handle someone who has gone through that experience or they mm-hmm. 
don't understand why they're doing certain things like right. the way that they dress, their makeup and all of that. And don't mm-hmm. ask the questions, you know, what what's mm-hmm. going on? Why why is she doing all of this? To really We're really understand. quick to judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We are really quick to judge and make a lot of assumptions. Um, I, I, I am very blessed with the church that I have and, and that support. And um, it, one of the reasons that I started my step ahead is to help break that stigma around mental health struggles, especially with believers. That is my heart because we tend to think that we have to have it all together. So I said, I feel like we have to have it all together that I can't help somebody else if I'm struggling. And that's what I mean when I say you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. The concept is that I'm still reaching out to Amanda, my counselor, for help and support and guidance on things. But while I can still reach back to others who are going through stuff that I've gone through, and I might only be one or two steps ahead of you, but I can at least help you through that part of things. And together, we have a human chain of support. That's why I started my step ahead, to break that stigma, especially with believers. Because I, I want to be for others what others were for me. And that is a voice of hope. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there was another thing that you had mentioned about the mask and being transparent. Mm -hmm. There are Christians that, you know, they have gone through a lot of things and they have given their life to Christ and they're still working Mm -hmm. things out. And like Mm -hmm. you said, they, they act like one way in church. And then Mm -hmm. when they're at home, they're they're tore up from the floor up. <laughs> you yes, yeah. they, they don't know how to to use their voice to share their mm-hmm. story to get that that all of that out of them for them to be able to mm-hmm. go forward. So, what suggestions can you offer? Let's say that woman that yeah, she's saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, as as everyone <laughs> likes to say. But there is something that she has never addressed, whether it was rape, mm-hmm. child sexual abuse, whatever the t- thing is. What is suggestions can you offer them? Great question. I think, first of all, it's really important to, to, to hear that salvation and sanctification are two different things. Sa- sanctification is the working out of that salvation. And that means that the hands are going to get dirty because before we came to Christ, we were a mess. And even now that we're with Christ, we're still a mess. And messes mean getting your hands dirty. That's not a Sunday school answer, <laughs> but that's the authentic answer. So that would be the first thing is that it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. The second thing I would say is Dare to believe that you matter. Nothing changes unless that is there. When I walked away from retreat with that nugget that I am valuable to God, God was daring me to believe that I matter. And when I took him at his word and departed, John 4.50, the man man took Jesus at his word and departed. When I took Jesus at his word and departed, that is when things started to change doesn't mean I believed it. Sure have doesn't mean believe doesn't mean that I felt it. But I had to start somewhere. And I knew the one thing is that Jesus Christ is trustworthy. 
So if it's in the Bible and God tells me that I'm valuable to him, that I am the pearl of great price that he goes looking for, that I'm, I'm the one out of the 99, when he tells me that it's me, then I have my only act of obedience is to believe that. Doesn't mean anything's going to change right away. It doesn't mean you're going to feel it. If anything, you're probably going to feel worse. And I hate to be the bearer of, bearer of the truth, but yeah. that's kind of the way it works is you get, you know, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. But I would say dare to believe that you matter. And if you're struggling with that, reach out to me and I want to help you with that. Amen. Because that is, that's where it starts. When I say people come to me and they sometimes have a sliver of hope and we cultivate that hope, it's because they're trying, they're struggling to dare to believe that they matter. And that's what we start, that's where, that's where we start digging. And then once they see that they matter and that they have something to offer, that's when the light bulb goes on. They come back with a huge smile and they start feeling momentum and things start to change. But yeah. it starts with daring to believe that you matter. And a dare is challenging someone to do something they may not necessarily want to do or feel like doing. But someone sees it as an opportunity for growth and improvement for you to help you get where you want to go. So I am daring your listeners to believe that they matter. Amen. Amen. Well, we are winding down to, I, I didn't realize the time had gone by so fast, but we are winding down. I want people to find out where they can purchase your book and how they can get in contact with you. Sure. The book is called This Much I Know, The Space Between. The first half of the book, the concept is that this much I know is our story. All of us have a story. It's the one thing nobody can ever take from us. And then the space between talks about the healing journey that God took me on um, through. You know, it goes into a lot more about the retreats and just all, all, all kinds of different things. Um, it is on Amazon and Kindle. It also won, it's, it's an award-winning book. It won second place nonfiction at the Faith and Fellowship Book Festival in 2020, the year after it came out. Nice. So, my first book self-published and won an award. So, I think God was telling me I was doing something right. So, <laughs> um, so, so, the best way is go to suebowls.com. And it's B-O-W-L-E-S.com. There's a link to the, where you can buy the book there. There's a link to, I, ha I have a, 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 a podcast free gift I give. So, you can go there and, and pick that up. It's either a three-part hope bundle that I would email to you, or it's, it's a tip sheet for being unstoppable. And also, if you want to get in touch about possibly talking about some life coaching, you can do that through, through that podcast redemption page as well. But that is the best way is, is just go to suebowls.com. All my social media links are there and you'll find all kinds of cool stuff there. Sue, it has been a, wow, this has been a blessing and honor to have you on Wove Inspiration. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to share your story and to and help encourage other women to be able to move forward and use their voice. I really appreciate you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Althea, and, and thank you for what you do. Because, again, that, that's what it's about, is helping people find their voice when maybe their voice had been stolen from them in the past. Amen. And, and when we don't feel we don't have a voice, there's a lot of grief work that happens with that because there's loss to that. And that's part of, part of daring to believe that you matter is, is doing the work that needs to be done so that you get where you deserve to be. Amen. Amen. Hey, you guys, this is Althea with Wove Inspiration Podcast. 
You guys have an awesome day. Take care. God bless. Hey, this is Althea, host and producer of Wove Inspiration Podcast. Wove Inspiration features women and the men who love them, who use their voice to share their stories of overcoming obstacles in life. Everyone has a story, some good, some not so good. The common factors for guests on Wove Inspiration are their solutions and their victorious endings. You can follow us and leave a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under Wove Inspiration. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other platform you listen to podcasts.